0: Welcome to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the James Bond podcast that keeps you from running and just keeps you coming. I'm Andrew Wheeler. Oh my god. And I'm Shane Holland. When did we change that? <laughs> <laughs> on this episode, we are back on the books with Ian Fleming's ninth Bond novel, 1962's The Spy Who Loved Me. Short, raunchy, and widely reviled. And thankfully not the last. <laughs> Uh, The novel has almost nothing in common with the movie that shares its name. For example, the movie's pretty good. Before we check into the Dreamy Pines motor court, Shane, have we been up to anything very Barbie this week?
1: Ooh, well, look, we're going to talk about Barbie, (laughs) but I do want to mention a couple of Bondy things that I watched. Uh, Namely, two men who could have been Bond, but definitely and probably won't be. uh, I saw this little... Uh, I, I, I wanna say independent. It was probably supposed to be a major film, but it came out in 2021. And I don't know if you remember, Andrew, but the world wasn't really doing much in 2021. <laughs> uh, it's called Reminiscence. It starred Hugh Jackman and a bunch of other people like Tandy Newton. Uh, and it's a little noir crime thriller set in Uh, The near future, where all of the ice caps have melted. There's been a a gigantic world war. uh, The very near future, that's like next week. Honestly, yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's set in a flooded Miami, uh, where a part of the city is held back by uh, ocean-retaining walls, uh, but most everyone travels to and from uh, by boat. Uh, And it's just about a guy trying to find out uh, what happened to the short, brief, but intense love of his life? Uh, it read, it, it watched so much like an old, uh, what was he called? Like Mike Hammer? Is that the, the yeah. pulp, f- pulp novel series? It felt like a Mike Hammer novel, uh, on film, but in 2035. It was really cool. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I was really sick, so maybe that, uh, tinge thing. <laughs> so we should you if that, it's terrible. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. That also explains why I sound a little nasally and <laughs> congested on today's episode. But I, I would check it out. I thought it was really fun. Uh, there was some really, uh, nifty, uh, near future sci-fi stuff happening in there.
0: You mentioned it had two potential bonds. Was the other one Tandy way Newton?
1: I mean, honestly, she should be, great. be, yes. But she's also much like Hugh Jackman and Henry Cavill, who I'm about to talk about, uh, they have aged out of the yeah. role, uh, as you and I have dis- has have discussed many times. Bond, our next Bond needs to be, like, 35, right? Yeah. He needs to be younger so we can grow with the character again. Uh, we don't need another 45-year-old starting his career as James Bond. Uh So, anyways, Reminiscence really fun i really loved it uh i've also been catching up on the w- witcher speaking mm-hmm. of henry cavill uh and that has been enjoyable but not great <laughs> and i and if if you've been watching the witcher you'll understand what i mean yeah uh it reminds me of not the last couple of seasons of game of thrones but the se- the couple seasons before that where it's like ooh this might be going <laughs> off the rails in a bad way and yeah. then we were proven right uh, so we're right in that sweet spot of like, this is fun, but it's not good. <laughs> But let's move on to something glorious. Andrew, have you been up to anything Barbie this week? <laughs> so we did watch the Barbie
0: movie together. Um, I have not been back to watch it yet, but I feel like it's going to be in theaters
1: for a, at least another a month while. or two. I mean, um. this this weekend it passed the one billion mark, which yes. for is the first time for a solo woman helmed film, yep. which is such a caveat. Like, <laughs> do, do we have a double directed <laughs> film that reached a billion dollars i don't think so <laughs> no i don't think so like maybe one of the marvel
0: films i the, like captain marvel was co-directed by a woman and a man so maybe that passed a billion but i don't
1: know if i did. guess that's what they mean yeah. but honestly this movie was fucking fantastic
0: so much fun so enjoyable and so smart and just i mean beautiful to look at like so stunning um you know we're we're big interior design whores on this on this uh, podcast <laughs> yeah. and uh and yeah i was i was in love uh all the way through all the barbie land stuff was absolutely
1: perfect a 100% and even the la stuff felt pitch perfect too it mm-hmm. was very steel girders and beach uh which are my <laughs> aesthetic actually so yeah i loved all of it uh it, 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 some uh, a friend of ours uh Ronnie said you know it's a bit feminism 101 my response to that was well that's the reason why it it flopped in south korea and that shows <laughs> you that we still need this movie we still need feminism 101 yes. to reach the the public in a way that has never been reached before a billion dollars that that's not nothing that means that this is like the biggest movie solely about a woman women (laughs) uh Mm -hmm. that that we've ever had it's really it's really beautiful that 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 this is happening that this has happened uh and i guess there there are also some legitimate criticisms about you know, stereotypes and blah, blah, blah. I I can't hear any of it because all I saw was the good in this film.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think it's addressing stereotypes. I think it's having a a dialogue. I don't think it's telling you what the answers all are, although it it, it comes across a little preachy in places. Um, Yeah, the ending
1: has a bit of a preachy moment,
0: but... They were going to make a Barbie movie anyway, and the Barbie movie was probably going to do well. So, yes, great that it's Feminism 101 because it could have been completely the other way you know if, yeah. you, want, if you want to take an advanced just been class been Ken 101 there are plenty of other movies you can watch M- midge is played by emerald Fennell, who uh directed and wrote promising young woman perfect movie mm, for your feminism 102 promising class young
1: woman. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Uh yeah, I mean like there my god, there was a trans woman playing a Barbie yep. and it wasn't addressed. It just wasn't addressed like yeah. it just was. Isn't that beautiful that we can have this now and that this movie is as as successful as it is? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's so much, it's really fun, and the fact that it actually does say anything at all feels kind of amazing, you know? It, I'm, yeah. I'm still deciding what Barbie things I want to buy off the back of this, because it's a merch bonanza <laughs> as well, and it's kind of tragic. <laughs> yeah. I don't need anything, but I do want the Allen shirt, and the people doing the official Allen shirt have sold out, and I'm just mad about it, to be honest.
1: Of course. Uh, I will say that my uh, Barbie Zodiac is Alan as a Taurus. Uh, I'm very, very happy about that fact.
0: And mine is the daughter, who is essentially a brat doll, so I guess that's,
1: <laughs> that's accurate, too.
0: That's accurate, too, yeah. <laughs> for every episode of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we mix up a drink that matches the theme or mood of the episode. And Shane, what have you got for us?
1: Andrew, I am so proud of myself. <laughs> and I told you as much yesterday when we saw each other in the park. I created a drink and it has a cute little name. Uh, it is a nod to Bond, this novel, uh, to our interests, to the bitter lemon, which, uh, is mentioned. I coined, uh, a cocktail called the Vespa Martini. So You might need to spell that. That's (laughs) V-E-S-P-A. Vespa Martini. Right. (laughs) Uh, You're hearing me correctly. So I started with our classic Vesper Martini, uh, which is two ounces of Gordon's and one ounce of high-quality vodka. Uh, I added two to three dashes of pine bitters, and I stirred those in a shaker with ice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I uh rinsed a chilled coupe glass with a half ounce of Aperol, and I drank the little <laughs> bit that was left over. Uh, I poured those stirred ingredients into the glass. I topped up the glass with bitter lemon, which I received... With much appreciation from you, uh, who specifically went <laughs> shopping for bitter lemon for this episode, uh, I'd never had it before, and it is in my life, and it is not available in Toronto readily, and no. I am upset. <laughs> uh, and I garnished my creation with a sprig of rosemary, with a lemon peel wrapped around, and a single cranberry. Wow. It is, it is delicious. It is gorgeous uh it is complicated like in flavor it has a lot going on but they all work well together the the pine syrup bitters uh obviously add this uh resiny kind of quality mm-hmm. to the aroma and the flavor the bitter lemon really balances out the mixture of boozes that are in this drink the aperol gives this uh, a lovely salmon rose color Uh, And the garnish is just gorgeous, I... I think I'm in love with something that I made.
0: <laughs> Great. You're a mother. Um, I mean, that's that's a six ounce drink with, uh, with a lot of soda in it. So the martini bit is a
1: little bit of a,
0: <laughs> a Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not actually
1: a martini, but it does have, I mean, hey, two ounces of Gordons and one ounce of vodka is the recipe. Yes. The, the base recipe for a Vesper. I mean, come on. It's a Give pine
0: martini.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, I can't wait to make this for you. I think you're really going to enjoy it too, and I think you should make it at home, listener, because it is a refreshing, not too sweet but slightly sweet version of martini. Great. Uh, yes,
0: you can find bitter lemon if, like, there are certain brands that sell in North America. Fever Tree, I think, has a bitter lemon, and yes. I forget what it's called. The man with the moustache, thickly drawn, not Pringles. Um, the people that do like um, a, a ginger beer. <laughs> Um, and it's like a hipster oh. guy with a
1: mustache. Yeah. Anyway, I don't remember the name, but yeah.
0: I would suggest Googling for bitter lemon, which is a it's a lemonade that has quinine in it. So it's like tonic water lemonade sort of marriage. And it's a drink that I used to love <laughs> uh, even as a kid. Uh, I would drink a lot of it. I think my parents always had it in the house. That and, uh, Shrepp's Russian were the two, like, Great mixing tonics that are uh, that I miss now, that that are not widely available here in uh, in North America, or certainly not in Toronto. Um, so I will be picking up bitter lemon whenever I get a, get my hands on it. And I am having a glass of gin and bitter lemon uh, as we record this because uh, I didn't want to cheat and look at what the cocktail mix was going to be. And this is what Viv
1: drinks in the book. Andrew, are you proud of me? By the name alone, I am on. so
0: proud of you. It's it's.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's a delight. I needed to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I can't wait for you to drink this. I think you're really going to like it. I, you, Andrew, uh, listener, Andrew has made me so many cocktails <laughs> over the years that we've known each other, and this is going to be one of the few times that I make one for him that he's never tried. <laughs> uh, I can't. I I really hope it comes up on the next episode. <laughs>
0: Published in 1962 by Jonathan Cape, The Spy Who Loved Me is Ian Fleming's ninth James Bond novel, and in a significant departure from the previous novels, this one is written in the first person and told from the perspective of a young Canadian woman, Vivian Michelle. <gasps> Did you say Canadian? Yes. Bond himself does not appear until two-thirds of the way through the novel. Critics hated it, fans hated it, and Fleming blocked the publication of the paperback in the UK and any adaptation of the plot for the screen. On the plus side, it is the shortest Bond novel. Uh, Before we get into the discussion, please note, this book discusses sexual assault, and our conversation
1: is likely to touch on that topic. Oh, it certainly will. Uh, Yes. Okay, I'm just going to start off here. I have uh, the uh oh gosh i'm just looking up i have the penguin republish from the late uh the Mm -hmm. mid-2000s which has a beautiful cover i will say uh it also has an introduction by the author nick stone uh who mentions that this is definitely not the book of the film you could say that again (laughs) uh he also calls vivienne uh, Fleming's best realized heroine. And hmm. I said, sure. In a way, <laughs> Be- I, uh, you could argue that a hundred percent.
0: She has interiority, which is unprecedented,
1: I guess. The- yes. There it is. Okay. Uh, he also mentions that, a, a Vivienne, uh, you know, is a, a Quebecer who is trying to make her way to Florida to live. So, you know, she's the original <laughs> snowbird, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's a, it's generally a good introduction. It sets the stage accurately. Uh, he mentions that there is definitely dissonance, uh, between the romance and the thriller portions of the novel, but that there is good stuff and awful stuff and that <laughs> it is an exercise and i don't know which way he meant exercise but i am going to agree well you should certainly stretch before exercising and
0: i feel like uh, fleming does that this this, this is a stretch uh, yeah yeah, yeah. I, this is definitely one i had not read before uh the podcast um though i know that you had described it to me in the past as being one that's like that you know is from a bond woman's perspective and bond is barely in it um so i knew to
1: expect that much uh and yeah it, I, I think I, if you listen to one of our first five episodes uh, which you can find on spotify for free you can hear my thoughts on this novel very succinctly. <laughs> yeah
0: so i had some expectations but still the book surprised me um let's get into oh! the details
1: <laughs> i want to know how <laughs>
0: part one me Chapter One: Scaredy Cat. A young Canadian oh boy, woman, here Vivian we go. Michelle, tells the reader that she has come to the Adirondacks to escape her life in London, England, as she's been left alone in charge of a motel at the end of the season. Terrified by a thunderstorm, she turns on the no vacancy sign to signal for help and is knocked out by an electrical
1: surge. Okay, first things first. The first page of this novel says, "The Spy Who Loved Me," Ian Fleming with vivienne Michelle <laughs> the the audacity to say that this was written by the character you're writing as <laughs> oh brother it's so it's so such verite it is so
0: true so real so authentic yeah. yeah he does do the sort of like the the oh i just found this manuscript one day um yeah no no ian
1: no <laughs> he owned this one so owned so this silly. mistake <laughs> Vivienne's describing herself uh, and I just I need to know Andrew does Vivienne resonate to you in any way? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know there's some good
0: writing here it just isn't the authentic voice of a woman is not part of the good writing in this book, but like. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> there's this moment where she describes her changing circumstances. She says, When I had left, the grimy little row of domesticated maples in my square had been green, or as green as any tree can be in London in August. Now, in the billion strong army of pine trees that marched away northwards towards the Canadian border, the real wild maples flamed here and there like shrapnel bursts. That's a really good sentence that really, like, clearly establishes her movement, her, 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 her journey her journey point. yeah um so you know she's well realized in the sense that she has a voice um she's well realized in the sense that she has uh, a point of view she just doesn't sound like a real woman at any point woman. in this entire book
1: well she calls herself an attractive rat which <laughs> which does resonate <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no uh <laughs> But has any woman ever described herself as such? I I (laughs) doubt it. Yeah, I don't know if there was ever a Lady Rizzo in the Muppets, but I'm sure she was a a (laughs) lady if there was. Uh, Um, I'm sure that exists in the Muppets Christmas Carol, if only Maddie were here to (laughs) affirm me in this moment. Uh, She does also say uh, that uh, she doesn't wear makeup, which I mean...
0: Of she's, course. A, she's a because woman in a bond an in Fleming novels of course she doesn't wear makeup
1: <laughs> she's only beautiful beautiful if she's natural mm. uh but she does describe it as not wanting to paint a different face over my own mm. which i i don't know there's something empowering in there right like all, all we're going to touch on all of this but all throughout the novel i feel like ah. Oh, you're so close. Yeah. You're so close to having it right if only you weren't such a prick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the 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 proprietors of the motel that she's uh, staying in and that most of this action takes place in um Mr. and Mrs. Fancy with a PH. Oh my god. <laughs> um, Mister Fancy name. it keeps making sexual advances on her, and it, his exact behaviour would be considered heroic if he were like a smoulderingly handsome, dashing like if, younger man.
1: Yeah, if if he were James Bond, literally ten chapters yes. in the future.
0: Yeah, like yeah. there's no <laughs> awareness from Fleming of of what he's doing here. I don't think. I mean, I mean, I think there's some awareness that this entire book is discursive on the nature of how men treat women and how women feel trapped by that but I don't think he appreciates how he contributes to that (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, true <laughs> words have never been spoken. You've actually nailed it on the head. He has no idea that he is the problem. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there is some great writing in here. I love uh, loneliness becomes a lover solitude a darling sin that <sighs> that could be that's very poetic. Um Vivienne also says, fuck the trees. She's so sick of trees.
0: <laughs> she hates pine trees. They are dark and stand very still and you can't shelter under them or climb them. It's radical to hate something as innocuous as pine trees. As beautiful as pine yeah. trees. But yeah go off,
1: Vivian, go off. <laughs> go you go, girl. Ten dollar a night motels. That sounds nice. That's uh, you can basically get a booth at the Triple X theater for as much these days. <laughs> Terrible place to spend the night. Um,
0: Oof, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, the 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 motel. It's that weird sort of. I mean, they actually don't call it a motel. They call it a motor court because she says motels are seen as seedy. Um, so they change the name. Of course, they do. Uh, motels are still seen oh. as seedy in all kinds of ways but this one like is right on that cusp between glamour and seediness you know it's that sort of yeah you know we're talking literally about mid-century modern um motel culture we're talking about sort of the early american days of the road trip of the you know she she mentions in a later chapter or maybe it's in this no it's in a later chapter the roadside attractions mm. that she passes yes. by like there is a culture and a and a, a fascination here that that fleming is is nailing right at the time when it's hot
1: it's like it's like a decade before Easy Rider, which is all yeah. about the, the death of that culture, really. Uh, and yeah, you're right. He nails it on the head. Like, he's already seeing the decay yeah. around this industry that, that people hadn't really, that people weren't seeing yet. Uh, I really appreciate that. Okay. Is it because I know what's to come because I've read this novel? <laughs> Or is everything incredibly telegraphed from <laughs> chapter one?
0: I don't know. I think I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I didn't know. Yeah, the the fancies and their role in this story, I, I don't think was like obvious to me. I just thought, oh, this is this is a terrible man. And, and as the book goes on, we will meet at least four other terrible men in Viv's life including the the mobsters
1: <laughs> including James Bond oh. um,
0: well that would be five uh but yes arguably or uh, maybe certainly um, i mean he's a terrible man <laughs> he's not too terrible to her. <laughs> uh, that okay yeah this is true <laughs> um so yes like it's it's setting up it's part of the motif of the book for sure
1: um this is the shortest novel and i'm already worried that this is going to be our longest episode (laughs) chapter two (laughs) dear dead days vivienne stirs and attempts to calm herself she reflects on her life to this point uh natural thing to do after being shocked by the electricity of lightning Mm -hmm. uh her childhood in quebec her time at a finishing school in england and her relationship with Derek, Boo. her first boyfriend. Boo. Boo. <laughs> De- Boo all the men in this. Boo
0: everyone. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> yes. Men are bad. Um, we get told about the Canadiens, a society more secretive than Spectre. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the way <laughs> Fleming writes about French Canadians as being like, I don't know, just like this, this a dark A secret league. society. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Like this whole this whole section on Quebec and faith seems also unchanged from then to now. Like, there's such a cased society. (laughs) (laughs) And you and I are literally going to
0: Montreal in what, Five days from this recording, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for those those dark markings of the Canadiens all around us.
1: Uh, (laughs) You and I will definitely be considered les (laughs) Américains in uh, the order of uh, Quebec society. I have never been more offended in my life. (laughs) <laughs> uh okay let's talk about fashion viv is wearing tight bright leggings and an oversized golden threaded turtleneck mm-hmm. that's a serve
0: that's great yeah yeah you can see that and it's so of the time yeah. well it's so ahead of the time actually
1: just mm, just very mod into... in 1961 yeah, yeah. 1962 she also is talking about uh Uh, I want to say cat food when she mentions the brand Pussyfoot Prime, (laughs) uh, which I mean, welcome to the stage.
0: (laughs) Honestly, that that should be the name of Pussy Galore's next crime syndicate. Uh, Ah, Or or her title, like her secret title. I am Pussyfoot Prime. (laughs) Uh,
1: Pussyfoot Prima, (laughs) Pussy Galore. Ah, great. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about how Viv talks about herself, which is shamingly and negative always, Mm. which I mean, you've... I'm so sorry, Mom. You've met my mother. Uh, I, is this a is is this something that like British women are trained to do? Like say, oh, everything about me is wrong.
0: <laughs> yes, but they're also trained to say it about you if they're your mother. So, you know. ah, <laughs> uh, yes, okay, this is also
1: true. Uh, so she's descri- So this is Vivienne describing herself. I like my rather high cheekbones, although these same girls at the bo- at the finishing school said they made me look foreign. Oh, but my nose is too small and my mouth too big so that it often looks sexy when I don't want it to. Okay, go off, Queen. You're fucking perfect. Uh, I'm just so sexy. I hate it. Oh. Oh, everyone hates me because I'm beautiful and I don't understand why.
0: Um the the splendid uh, splendidly named Miss Threadgold at the uh, finishing school uh,
1: says says to her great Bond woman name
0: women should be willows Vivian it is for men to be oak and ash uh, <laughs> which is a terrible sentiment but also like beautiful like the way it's expressed is is pretty great and and also
1: like really nails uh where society is yes (laughs) and it tells us something about (laughs) even vivienne hates it yeah
0: she's tough she's oaky you know and that that does make her appealing
1: yeah absolutely
0: this is where we hear a little about Vivian's uh, student life. She has a, a house party where she buys champagne and caviar and takes a door off the hinges to make a buffet table. So bougie and yet so <laughs> déclassé at the same time. I mean, my
1: goodness. I love that. <laughs> um, we got some foie gras. Wore...
0: It was tinned, but it was rather good once we sliced it. All right, Viv.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she spent all of her savings on this party. She's like, well, we've got like 100 pounds left over, which is a lot of money in 1961. Yeah let's literally spend it all on caviar and a case of champagne yes go champagne. off that is i i wish i had the freedom to do that you know <laughs> uh she also talks about uh, her first roommate this poor slash rich lebanese girl who doesn't get a name uh <laughs> But she's described as basically mustached and lacking in civility, which, oh, rough. Let's, I mean, this, this book, thank, blessedly, has very few, uh, people of color. <laughs> But the, the, <laughs> but the only, like, insight into that window that we get is this, where, you know, the woman from a Middle Eastern country is described as an ogre. Yeah.
0: Representation matters, but not like this, Ian. Not like yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: not like this. Uh, during school, she was made to suffer agonies for my accent, my table manners, which were considered uncouth, my total <laughs> lack of savoir-faire, and, in general for being a canadian i know fair I, enough I, I, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we deserve it we deserve it
0: uh i mean at least you take your shoes off when you come into a house and i think that's very civilized
1: also it's all you. the time so uh, <laughs> you have to it's it's weather
0: now this is where we get the gin and bitter lemon a, a, a drink that uh, i do miss dearly uh, because it is so hard to get bitter lemon over here and nothing else really tastes quite like it it really is that perfect like lemonade into <sighs> tonic water um sharpness Mm. bitterness
1: beautiful yeah great on its own I didn't mention that in the cocktail segment but I would just drink that can of bitter lemon no problem
0: Uh, and we meet Derek Derek Mabley or something Malaby Malaby I think it was Um, oh I didn't even get his last name (laughs) and and when she meets him and he asks her if she wants to go off together she says I said yes largely I think because he was tall
1: yeah Um, yeah Yeah, we've all made that mistake (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna say that she should have stuck with Susan Duff. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Her second roommate, who sounds like, like, okay, her and this girl, like, became fast friends, and Susan's met her parent, or sorry, Viv met Susan's parents, and they went on holidays together. It sounds like they were in a really successful (laughs) relationship Uh until Vivienne decided to try it with a guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a disaster, but such is heterosexuality, you know? Yeah. Chapter 3, Spring's Awakening. Vivian recalls her courtship with Derek. At the end of summer, Derek pressures Viv to have sex with him for the first time in a box seat at the cinema. They are caught and thrown out.
1: Oh my god, I hate all of this, first of all. This, this chapter is one of the many chapters that sucks, that is just hard to read. Because, okay, first of all, I will say there is, like, so much truth in her experience. Like, right? you know, so many women are pressured for their first time. Yeah. Uh, and I say this... As a a man or a mask person, a mask non-binary person who has not had this experience. But from everything I've ever heard from women in my life is that they don't want their first time to be their first time. They are told that their first time is going to be their first time. So that is true. And it sucks. And he acknowledges it. But like you said earlier, Ian Fleming is so much part of the problem that all of the language that he uses to try and convey this situation just makes you feel even worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fleming clearly like Fleming is aware of the truth of Vivian's experience. Um, it does ring very true it does feel authentic and and well how does Fleming know this woman's experience you know she even talks about right? how the, the sex she had was painful rather than pleasurable well so Fleming has spoken to someone um you know that is not something you know, that I taught in schools in the in the 50 or in the Twenties, maybe thirties when, yeah. when Fleming
1: would have been in school. I, it would have been twenties, yeah. I, I, am thinking that this was written around the time, like just before his last marriage failed. <laughs> like it feels very much like, uh, you, le, here. Let me get you interested into my life. Tell me what it's like being a woman. <laughs> uh, and he got all of the wrong lessons. <laughs>
0: right. Oh, he just like, used it as like ins- an
1: information dump. Like he's like, oh, okay,
0: I have these good notes.
1: <laughs> Truly that's what it feels like. Like th- the the biggest telltale he- telltale here and throughout this novel is Viv is so worried about being seen as "quote unquote easy" yeah. as as a sexual being. Like that is her biggest worry. And I think I don't know. I again I I, I don't know. I'm guessing as a person in this world most people want to be seen as sexual, but with, uh, uh, ownership. Yes. Uh, like, they own their sexuality. Yes. They get to choose when to be sexual. That's never mentioned. Like, Viv just doesn't want to be seen as a sexual person. And she is. She's a very sexual person. Mm, yes. Uh, I don't, I. I, I I don't want to say I'm losing the thread of what I'm saying. I'm just getting flustered. Here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, a big part of this book is about Viv's desire. you know? she clearly and she wants love and she wants sex and she wants to bone handsome men. and but she's also like forced into these, she hates herself, yeah. she she hates she hates the fact that she, is a sexual person. She she frets in this char- chapter about losing her virginity. Um, the the first time that she gives him a hand job, like not even not even the first time they yeah. have sex, but she she jerks him off in the cinema, the same cinema that they, where they will later try and consummate so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, "I had lost my virginity or some kind of virginity," um, and it just oh, makes you very God. aware of like virginity is this constructed idea. But yes, giving someone a hand job is a sex sex act. Um, yeah. Yes, you know that—that uh, that is, in a sense, losing your virginity. But also, there's no such thing as losing your virginity. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a thing. Virginity is not a thing.
1: Thank you. Th- thank you for allowing the space to let me rant about <laughs> this—the major problem in this novel, which will—I uh, promise, listener, we're just going to touch upon <laughs> throughout. I, I don't want to delve so deep. Uh, we we there's some things there some more things we need to talk about but let's just accept the fact that this is not a good book but there are some good stuff in here that is worth talking about it's,
0: it's not feminism 101 that's for sure
1: <laughs> that, y- this is this is negative 101 uh, okay I love that he brings her to the theater and she thinks, "Oh god, is this where he brings them?" Like <laughs> as if, "Oh yeah, he's he's got a lot of hand jobs in this booth uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to bring back the term getting tight instead of like getting drunk or getting wasted. <laughs> like, mm, "I want to get tight tonight." <laughs> but also get Which loose. would be a change. Oh. <laughs>
0: filthy little swine Shane Uh, (laughs) you infatuated goose
1: (laughs) these are quotes from the book people Uh, (laughs) get with it read the book Uh, the whole section on him trying to get a condom is hilarious. Uh, like, you have to remember that these two are 17 years old yeah. uh, and that <laughs> this boy is worried the girl behind the counter is going to ask him, what size? <laughs> like, I legitimately laughed at that part.
0: Yeah, that feels very true as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you already mentioned filthy little swine, uh, which is shouted at her when they are finally caught, uh, trying to consummate the relationship in the booth in the theater. Uh, but also this is how sexual shame and trauma have affected literally generations of people. We are six hours into this (laughs) podcast. Chapter four, dear Viv. Derek shakes off the humiliation and takes Viv to the woods, they have sex. Viv finds it painful, but believes it's a significant moment Derek becomes cold, however. He leaves for university the next day and dumps Viv by letter, by text, essentially. (laughs) Uh, Viv gets a job at a small local paper. The Chelsea Clarion. Not the Chelsea Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Clarion, though, like, oh, she's finally seeing clearly now. She's had one (laughs) relationship. Yeah um yeah you know that if there had
0: been a more impersonal way for Derek to dump her he would have but letters were like the only thing
1: available really like maybe a telegram
0: but that's more expensive actually so
1: and he basically is like oh babe you were so great with much love happy memories Derek I think it's time
0: we moved on yeah yeah Derek Derek Uh, is a rotter as are all men in this book (laughs) Um, it's
1: just it's just a fact I do love uh, the end of their first hookup. He says, oh, I say only a quarter of an hour for a train. Better get moving. Me at the end of every hookup. (laughs) Oh, I say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, you're going to miss the last train back to Finch. Uh, You should get going. (laughs) And again, we're in that that sleaze slash glamour.
0: Maybe that's not the right word, but like the sort of There is this thing of sleaze being both disgusting and, and arousing or stimulating. She's having sex in a like grungy boathouse where she thinks a lot of other people have had sex before her and, (laughs) and she's disgusted by the whole experience. But you know, the, the place she needs to get to is where she feels she can choose to have sex with a tall man she's not particularly Mm. attracted to in a, in a nasty boathouse. Mm. Like that's, that's sexual liberation.
1: (laughs) I'm, Andrew spoiler alert that does not happen for her ever. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's uh, like this the the strange man in the boathouse is essentially what bond does to her at the end of the novel.
0: Yeah. we'll get
1: there (laughs) okay guess guess how uh, he dumps
0: uh, her, listeners
1: uh uh, by letter no i didn't even put it together no oh wow that was a genuine revelation oh my god (laughs) okay side note good money in 1961 was 12 to 20 pounds a week oh my god <laughs> uh Fleming calls out poor council flat construction you know six 70 years before the council flat fire that oh, killed uh, over 100 right. people Ugh. uh and I start to love question mark vivienne around the time of her becoming a career woman yeah until she meets kurt rayner of the vwz <laughs> which sounds like a gestapo unit but it's not a gestapo unit. <laughs> yeah
0: um, well, well turns <laughs> out
1: we're all a little gestapo in the eyes of Viv-
0: uh yeah, she's a motivated independent woman. She builds her career at the newspaper and it feels like she would be like just ascending rapidly if it weren't for the, the men. Men are her obstacle yeah. at every turn. But she is yeah. brilliant, you know? Chapter five, a bird with a wing down. Also really depersonalizing. Uh, Viv is hired by a German journalist, Kurt, to assist him at his newspaper bureau. When Kurt breaks up with his fiancée, he and Viv begin sleeping together. Viv gets pregnant. Kurt pays for her to fly to Zurich and get an abortion. And then he
1: ends their relationship. Okay. Let's just separate the two parts of that story. (laughs) Because at first... (laughs) <laughs> My note is: See, this is fun, <laughs> uh, which does not apply to the latter Abortions half. Abortion's injurious. It's a lot. Could be. Yeah. More fun? <laughs> we love. Yeah, the chocolate a, is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the views are beautiful. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah, to there are two for. parts to this very long <laughs> chapter. Mm-hmm. I love that she's an English journalist working for a West German paper during the height of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Why is this not part? Of this Bond novel. Like, there's a <laughs> Bond film in here. It's just utterly wasted by this weird thought experiment. I mean, Fleming is
0: always going to go there, I guess. Like, he just gravitates towards Cold War intrigues.
1: I am working, like, listener, when we do these novels, at like, at the end of a couple of them, we'll do uh, a, an imaginative casting of what these novels might look like on mm-hmm. film. Uh... And I already have I've had my wheels turning for weeks about <laughs> how I would take the story we get here and make it into a successful spy novel Christ. Because or spy film because we don't get a successful spy novel and we don't get a successful <laughs> spy film out of this. But my God, there are so many things in here that could have been so good That's, if they had yeah. just been tied together. Yeah, there's
0: some stuff in here. Um and yeah, I I haven't thought about casting it yet, but Kurt it does sound like a stunner. He was powerfully built outdoor type of young yeah. man with bright, fair hair and candid blue eyes made him look younger than his 30 years, which is weird because 30 years is very young, Ian. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, how old well does he look? Yeah. Well? yeah.
1: Um, but, you know, I uh, honestly, if I were 21 years old and looking at someone who is maybe 34, I would say, oh, my God. <laughs> oh. I don't people ever want to be thirty four. And now I'm thirty-seven oh. and I'm like I look at a thirty-four year old and I'm like, oh God, I was young <laughs> once. <laughs> um
0: so yes, I certainly have some people in my mental rolodex that could play Kurt. Um some of them are even actors and not in just adult films. Um <laughs> Some. Some. Look, the the Bellamy studio has done a lot of Kurt work in its time. Um, it's just a fact.
1: Uh, Viv-, Viv is describing her role to Kurt uh, and his uh, then-fiancé as some kind of universal aunt, which is coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme is universal aunt. Uh, universal aunt. <laughs> yes, I love it. Uh, okay again, I want to separate this chapter into two parts because there is the first part and there is the second part. First part, oh my God, I both love and hate Kurt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I I like that he notices that Trude is cool while he is passionate, uh, but he also draws diagrams of sex on tablecloth. <laughs> right. uh, mm, Trude, his very fiance, interesting. Is, is more clinical than him and he's so clinical. <laughs> yeah. A very German phrase, you must be kind, you must give me comfort! (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
0: Kurt. Jeez.
1: (laughs) Okay, so Ian definitely fucked a German man once in his life, or a hundred times, right? He was in the Secret Service,
0: so he had to, for Queen and Country, you know? That's... Just yeah. A fact.
1: <laughs> okay, and now we get to the second part of this chapter where I wrote, "Oop, I hate Kurt," where Kurt <laughs> describes uh, how uh, the the races shouldn't mix and homosexuals are not part of society. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And and Viv goes along with it, which also made me question my relationship to her a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. no like don't don't be digmatized into fascism please (laughs) oh
1: honestly haven't we all been Hey, wait what (laughs) Uh,
0: and I don't know how Fleming feels about abortion in all this like the fact that she Uh. she flies to Zurich to get an abortion like it's it it doesn't feel like the judgiest part of the story shall we say like it's seedy right but it's not like, like I think maybe Fleming is kind of just Objective about
1: abortions because it doesn't affect him. Um, well, yeah, for sure. That this also like harkens back to your comment like, uh, you know, he, he kind of maybe just took notes from someone that he asked about yeah. his experiences, uh, and like this would have been. The experience for many women in 1961 trying to get an abortion in Europe, like, oh, you have to fly to somewhere where it's not questioned. You can't just, yeah. like, get one. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, the text does not wrestle with her fi- Vivian's feelings about having an abortion. Not really. No, like, it's all the whole
1: section is clinical.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, well I w- yeah uh, I yeah. Uh, anyways, it's it. This part feels very much like a contemporary tale out of. I don't know, a place like America.
0: <laughs> I've heard of it. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and also, like, Vivian is falling for, for Kurt, and Kurt obviously is not in, interested in her. And this is where she says, at least among amateur women, as opposed to prostitutes, there is no physical love without emotional involvement. Okay. <laughs> well. I, we don't have time to unpack that, but that's just strange <laughs> yeah the, the concept oh, of amateur yeah, yeah. women is strange um the the idea that women don't have sex for for fun is probably not true of vivian's
1: generation i mean <laughs> a sign of the times yeah <laughs> definitely how men thought of women yeah yeah uh, chapter six go west young woman viv buys a vespa and plans a road trip She returns to Quebec and drives to New York State. So glamorous. Also, I love that both of us in our notes just call her Viv. She (laughs) basically goes by Vivienne through the entire novel, except for a little bit... But we both knew to shorten it to the Viv.
0: She, she becomes the Viv at a certain point. She does. Um, yeah, spe- here specifically, actually, because this is where she gets her yes. biker outfit and her bike. Mm. Leopard skin seat cover, racy wheel trims, white saddlebag, silver finish, a white crash helmet, white overalls with plenty of zips. She's a woman who loves pockets. Mm-hmm. Some big goggles with soft fur around the edges. Fur! And fur a, around the edges. So good. And a dashing pair of lined black kid motorcycling gloves yes i
1: mean i'm in love with this version of vivienne i'm in love with the idea of this french canadian woman driving south on the interstate on a sport vespa with leopard print seat cover on her own chic on
0: her own this is the liberation we've been waiting for her to get you know
1: honestly this is very barbie movie this feels (laughs) like something we still don't have 60 years later uh this
0: is this is the great viv this is viv at her best and this is viv actually this is the viv viv yeah
1: (laughs) yeah this is her recognizing herself uh realizing herself uh, great observation. Picnic areas, she thinks, are glamorous. They may not be very <laughs> glamorous anymore, but you can usually suck a dick there, so she's not <laughs> wrong to like them. But bring your own egg and bacon sandwiches. Um, yes, very important throughout the entire novel.
0: I mean, she talks about picnic areas as being this like Canadian and, and American invention, and it's like th- I I grew up in England in the like seventies, eighties. I mean, more of the eighties. We definitely had picnic areas. They had picnic but was areas. was that
1: brought over from American culture? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> LOL, American culture. <laughs> I think they yeah. just came wherever you had motorways. Like I think that's yeah. just a. <laughs> I feel like yeah, motoring is like a British pastime. Yeah. Going going to the provinces is literally like something that you that we they say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The French also mm. had picnic
0: tables by the roadside. Like I hate to break it to you, but it's kind of a. Universal thing.
1: Viv. Not a new ev- invention. <laughs> but it's new to her. She's only 23, yes, Andrew. Yes.
0: And they probably were <laughs> new in the world in the late 50s, early 60s, you know?
1: F- fair. Uh, she at one point says, "I won't go into details since this is not a travelogue." <laughs> then what exactly is this novel other than a travelogue? I mean, yeah, <laughs> this chapter
0: certainly. Um, and I would have loved to spend <laughs> a bit more time when she's talking about like rural America, this Jim Crack nightmare of concrete gnomes, Bambi deer, and toadstools. Like I, I love that. It sounds so. It, it again, it's so sort of cool and
1: retro and enough evocative um, yeah like i've i've ridden through there i know exactly what she's talking about like yeah uh, literally some of the villages animal land Storytown usa i i feel like i've actually passed by there i've been to one of them like uh, uh, yeah it's very true and real and the best what we need to talk <laughs> we need to talk about gaslight village Genuine 1890
0: oh. gaslighting. Oh, Ian. <laughs> oh, Ian. Uh,
1: <laughs> the home of my ex, Gaslight Village.
0: Uh. <laughs> oh, Ian Fleming knows a bit about genuine 1890 gaslighting. He really does. Yeah,
1: <laughs> certainly. <laughs> the The truest part of the novel so far. The whole book could have been called <laughs> Gaslight Village. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh.
0: Lord. Part two. Them. Chapter seven. Come into my parlour. Viv recalls her arrival at this motel two weeks earlier. The receptionist quits, and the managers, Mr. and Mrs. Fancy, offer Viv the job for the last two weeks of the season. Despite Mr. Fancy's repeated unwanted sexual advances, Viv accepts the job and agrees to stay on one extra night, alone at the motel, in order to return the keys to the motel's owner, Mr. Sanguinetti. I wonder what Mr. Ooh. Sanguinetti does for a living.
1: Right? It had <laughs> nothing to do with blood, I'm sure. Uh... The this is basically chapter one again uh, I have almost no notes the only note I have is if you can't steal bedding, linens, towels, <laughs> toilet seats and a television from a motel in the middle of nowhere America where can you?
0: Yeah, this is what Viva hilariously refers to as the seamy side of the motel business which is honeymooners checking <laughs> into a hotel and stealing all of the stuff that they're going to use to kit out their new homes um, it's like no no, no, Viv. That is not the seamy side of the motel business. Uh, this is yeah. This is she's, so she's pretty mixed. young. <laughs> yeah. um, but I bet they had some gorgeous stuff in motels. In their era, you know, like today. I mean, would you bother stealing from a motel? No. Like I once stayed. No. Well, well, I once spent the- twenty minutes in a motel where they. Uh, I. I pulled back the top bed sheet and there was blood on the sheets. And then I noticed there was also oh. blood on the wall and I checked out again no! immediately. Um, I did not no! want to, I did not want to steal anything. That was a motel between Toronto and Montreal. So let's not have the car break down, please. Uh, Shane. Oh.
1: <laughs> I'm having a panic attack for you right now. I once stayed in a motel in San Francisco and just chose not to question the bleach stains <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I, I don't
1: I don't want that.
0: Like I'm big onto vintage and secondhand and used materials i don't want anything out of a motel
1: <laughs> no thank you no thank you we will get to the like the furniture mentioned in this motel which sounds stealable <laughs> chapter eight dynamite from nightmare land Ooh, a great title <laughs> two men arrive at the motel claiming to work for mr sanguinetti They call Viv a bimbo bastard. (laughs) Important (laughs) point. Very important. It becomes a chapter title later. Viv can see that these men, Slugsy and Horror, are mobsters. She knows her life is in danger. Classic
0: Ian Fleming grotesques here. Um, Yeah. The more attractive of the two of them is tall and thin and almost skeletal, lips thin and purplish like an unstitched wound. I mean, that's evocative.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, that he has, like, he has capped teeth, poorly done as if it were done, uh, in, I don't know, insert racist, uh, country. Right. Uh, or, 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 yeah, insert racist trope here. But, uh, this is essentially the character of Jaws, who is actual three dimensional, well, two to three dimensional <laughs> character in this yeah yeah edging towards it
0: um yeah, like horror is such a great name for a a, a hench guy
1: Saul, <laughs> his name is Saul horowitz yeah and he goes by the name horror that's fucking fantastic it's so good that is like that they discarded that for just jaws <laughs> it's such like a 1970s like let's dumb this down for yeah. everyone
0: and then Slugsy almost seems more horrific than horror because he's the,
1: like, the more predatory of the two, I think. Um, yes. So Although also defined by uh, by something that he cannot control, his alopecia, yeah. which is evil somehow. <laughs> she calls it horrible alopecia <laughs> uh so damn slugsy. if you'd had a better moral character maybe you'd have a thick head of hair right now and <laughs> and yet i would fuck no ho hank from barry <laughs> so she maybe she's wrong
0: maybe she's wrong <laughs> how <laughs> unprecedented
1: um <Yeah. laughs> she she makes some toast
0: uh, for for these mobsters. Yeah. and That's i immediately had, of to, had to find out what a vintage 50s toastmaster looks like because the, just the, calling it a toastmaster it. sounds so chic
1: <laughs> in my <laughs> warped
0: brain i'm like ooh a toastmaster
1: and then when i looked it up and andrew were you were you disappointed or
0: well i was disappointed because a you know looking at the brand toastmaster they still make toasters they make boring chrome Two-slot toasters, nothing to write home about. They make the most boring toasters in the world. But if you look for 50s Toastmaster, then you get this beautiful mustard um square-built chrome-rimmed piece with daisies painted With a flower the bed. It's yeah. so pretty. Like, I would snap this up at the Value Village in a second. I love it.
1: Um, it would probably set my house would. on fire it. if
0: I tried to use it. But oh, <laughs> worth it.
1: <laughs> there's some great lines and not so great lines in this chapter i love slugsy saying tomorrow's tomorrow what you got to worry about is tonight baby Mm. that's chilling that's like that is danger and somehow viv seems unaware of what her fate might be it's like she's like "Mm, maybe these guys are okay the the fact that she lets these two hooded strangers into the hotel is bonkers yeah uh she, and then we also get the. Lo- Sorry, go on.
0: She sings between good self-preservation instincts and terrible self-preservation instincts. Like the fact that she reaches for the coffee pot at one point, like planning fully yeah. to smash it over Sugsy's head. Like yes, good. Uh, of course, good. But but such but a but she also from- allows
1: them in yeah. to the motel <laughs> <laughs> uh in mid-October in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, <laughs> Slugsy also says, if you can fuck like you can cook, you might be the gal of my dreams, which is not as chilling. And also, if you reverse that, more than likely something I've said to someone. <laughs> uh, gal probably didn't come into
0: it, but yeah. Okay, well, I said reverse. <coughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were just reversing the cooking and the fucking. But yeah, okay.
1: We're reversing everything.
0: <laughs> Chapter nine. Then I began to scream viv attempts to escape running out into the rain the mobsters catch her and she attempts to fight back with an ice pick you go viv Ooh, love that the mobsters yes. beat her they're about to sexually assault
1: her when the door buzzer sounds ding dong Ooh, the convenient buzzer i love that <laughs> uh this is this is a chapter of viv being very brave mm-hmm.
0: yes and the the mobsters saying things like come on out baby or "papa spank real hard uh,
1: which did people? Did Americans say this? Honestly, the, a lot of this sounds like Ian Fleming. Like, oh, I've heard an American <laughs> once before.
0: Yeah, this is how monsters talk. <laughs> Hired killers say things like a spank
1: real hard." <laughs> Honestly, bring that into your next uh, session <laughs> and see how how the rest of it goes. <laughs> well, that'll be the end of it, actually. So never mind. Uh, <laughs> She does say, I'd rather die than have you touch me. And I said, atta girl. (laughs) Which is also, I mean, horrible of me to say. (laughs) (laughs) And we get maybe the worst.
0: Well, no, I thought this would be the worst line in the whole book. Oh, Andrew, it gets better. There's so much worse to come. But she says, slowly, almost caressingly, he began to hit me. What an extraordinary thing for a man writing a woman's voice to put on paper just
1: uh, eroticizing uh, well, all, her assault do you think that's worse than this but in a curious and shameful way the beating i had been given had in some mysterious fashion relaxed me i mean swedish massage that, it's just the same really uh, <laughs> uh, what is going on in this jesus it's this is fucking awful the, like it it is just so hard to read a chapter of this poor woman getting the shit beat out of her and then dumped naked in a shower. It's like truly. Th- this is almost as bad as the Live and Let Die chapter that I didn't read. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, Fleming does do a good job of making these characters menacing, of creating this. This fear, this desperation in Viv, like the that is the strength of this middle section of the book. Is that you know yeah. she's she's more well realized here, I guess, because she's a experiencing and reacting in the moment to to things. It's less internal, it's less reflective, um, and b because Fleming does know how to write you know fear. He does know how to write danger.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, that is what works here, uh, and. Honestly, like, one of the first times I've ever felt this way in a James Bond novel, like, thank God James shows up. Because (laughs) I couldn't handle any more of this solo tale of this woman's horrible life at the hands of men. Boy, is is the the next five, six chapters going to throw me for a (laughs) tailspin. Part three, him, chapter 10, what's that? An Englishman has arrived at the motel looking for a bed for the night. Viv quietly informs the man that Slugsy Slugsy and Horror are mobsters who plan to kill her. That's a mouthful, Slugsy. (laughs) The Englishman introduces himself to the mobsters as James Bond and says he's a quote-unquote policeman. A cab Uh what's that? Uh, Definitely the worst chapter title in the book. Uh, yeah.
0: Really phoning that one in.
1: Uh I love that she takes one look at James and her first immediate <laughs> thought is, "Ugh, not another one." Right. Because God damn it, she's right. <laughs> she's right.
0: Her first instinct is right, but then he smiles it's and she's t- like, "Correct." Oh, oh, oh. No. Mm maybe I could fuck in. Yeah, Bond (laughs) as described by a horny external narrator. He was about six feet tall, slim and fit looking. Mm. The Mm. eyes in the lean, slightly tanned (laughs) face were a very clear grey blue and as they observed the men they were cold and watchful. The narrowed watchful eyes watchful twice in two sentences in in, that's not good. Mm, Okay. The narrowed watchful eyes gave his good looks the dangerous, almost cruel quality that had frightened me when I had first set eyes on him. But now that I knew Knew how he could smile. I thought his face uh, only exciting in a way that no man's face had ever excited me
1: before. I mean, honestly, been there. I get it. I totally get and it. And Fleming has been there before. I mean, that's what yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that for a second. Yeah, there's that is some great writing. Only to be mirrored mirrored by Slug saying, "This Seamus is a limey dick." <laughs> Uh, ew! <laughs> if you do have a limey dick,
0: please consult your doctor
1: immediately. Yeah, there's a great clinic here in Toronto called HQ. You can get tested <laughs> for limey dick as well as many other things. Uh, um, Bond says to Viv, promise not to tell anyone about... Uh, this very top secret story and my part in it. Uh, and then she goes and writes a whole <laughs> book about the experience.
0: Which then Ian Fleming finds and publishes. You jerk, Ian. Um, I, yeah. I I, at least he gave her credit. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't believe that Slug Scene Horror would ever have let this man stay. I feel like they should have just pulled out a gun straight
1: away and shot, shot, shot him. him. right then and there. Like, yeah, Mr. Sanguinetti so, is coming <laughs> over the
0: next day. They can deal with it later. You know, it's fine.
1: Uh, as we learned they already have the solution like yeah. they know what's going to happen to this place yeah. uh that not yeah uh l- look plot points we we got to get him in here somehow yeah. we've
0: got to force all these people into this room together so that we can play out the story um also a note here professional killers do not smoke uh bond is the exception <gasps> apparently
1: uh but yeah the professional killer who makes a mark everywhere he goes <laughs> Chapter 11,
0: Bedtime Story. Bond tells- Bond in f- Toronto. Oh, <laughs> Bond tells me the story of how he came to be in the Adirondacks. He was assigned to protect a Russian defector in Toronto from a Spectre assassination squad. Bond took the place of the target to draw out the killers. He killed the lead assassin in a shootout, then took a long drive to report on the case to Washington.
1: Okay, Andrew. Why is this not the novel? Why is this not the movie? So good. Why is this- why is this not a thing i i when i tell you that the wheels have been spinning this <laughs> is why andrew we have got to get a bond film filmed here i i'm sorry that i'm spiking it's the great lost
0: novel james wand in toronto is yeah. the great lost
1: novel it sounds like a good story like eon get on this it sounds great i i and we get all of some of the best, like, Bond stuff here. We get calls back. Call, call, sorry, we get callbacks. We get mentions of Spectre, Operation Thunderball in the Bahamas. Like, we're really cramming in all the Easter eggs and all the exposition in literally one chapter.
0: And confirmation that Bond has been active on the ground here in Toronto where we record this podcast, but never happens in the text. Like he never, we never see him doing things in Canada uh, apart from once landing a plane here. It's like, oh, for God's sakes. There was a whole adventure. And they didn't write a book about it. And we missed
1: it. I mean, (laughs) honestly, we were sitting in in more Toronto than that, Andrew. What could be more Toronto (laughs) than being written about in the past tense? Always the (laughs) bridesmaid, never New York. Uh, except for that one Star Trek episode which is <laughs> it Have we talked about that? I was in that episode You can see a
0: blur of me <laughs> I've seen a blur of you many times Shane, I don't need to watch Star Trek for that uh,
1: Look, I'm sober right now uh, <laughs> Ish
0: uh, <laughs> you're, you're literally Drinking a, a drink with three ounces of alcohol In it uh, <laughs> I
1: literally drank A drink with three ounces I'm sober right now uh, <laughs> Pardon me, I'm dying. Okay, anyways, we could have had a whole Bond story about James Bond fighting alongside Mounties, hunting Spectre agents who are hunting a double agent, yeah. but instead we got this and a 70s remake of a late 60s Bond film. Honestly. Um <laughs> We hear him say, well, you know,
0: they've been do- having a lot of trouble in Toronto. It's a, anyway a <laughs> tough town. Um, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, really hoping Olivia Chow can turn that around
1: because apparently it's been 70 Ooh. years now. <laughs> <laughs> having a tough go at it. Um, <laughs> on What if, like, we get what could have been a thrilling action sequence with a submachine gun spraying from the hip of a german slash russian agent and bond firing in a z pattern as he gets down on one knee kind of like the gun barrel sequence the the gun barrel Mm. sequence come from this novel maybe (laughs) maybe maybe um, we also get another glimpse of Bond's,
0: like, secretly progressive views. Like, his reputation <gasps> is not this. My first note. But, <laughs> y- yeah. Good to
1: know that Bond is anti-war. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she's saying, oh, they ought to hand the w- over the world to younger people I haven't- who haven't got the idea of war <gasps> stuck in their subconscious.
1: Yes. And uh, he says, yes. Don't... But he also says, don't spread your ideas too widely, or I'll find myself out of a job. So he's still a capitalist and still a cop, so he's still a bastard. (laughs) Chapter 12 To Sleep, Perchance to Die. My favorite chapter title. So bad and so good. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's both. Bond and Viv retire to Viv's cabin. He kisses her and she kisses him back. He gives her a gun to sleep on, to put under her pillow as she sleeps and heads out to assess the situation. Viv tries to sleep but wakes to find Slugsy in her room. He knocks her out. She wakes again to find the motel on fire. Bond has rescued her, and he explains that the fancies intended for her to die in the fire as part of an insurance scam. (laughs) Ha! There we go. There was the plot this whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on here.
0: One thing is Bond calling out the the, the mobsters for for not actually being insurance agents. And he says to them, by the way, are either of you bonded? And I thought, do you (laughs) want to be? Wink, wink. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I bonded. bonded.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh he uses toilet paper as a door wedge which seems <laughs> impractical. That's not going to keep anyone out and doesn't keep anyone. No. Out. No, <laughs> not not for a second.
0: Uh, some great uh, sexual uh, energy going on here. First of all, she's wearing overalls and she, he he says of her, in these overalls, you are the prettiest garage hand I've ever seen. Big Top Gun energy. <laughs> uh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very much so. As soon as the woman uh, puts on uh,
0: a jumpsuit, the men are like, oh... What is this gender fuckery? I might be into this.
1: <laughs> yeah, like most straight men I've ever met, uh, all they need is a wig. Uh <laughs> so oops, another man violates her, but this time it's James when he gives her surprise kisses.
0: And it's fine because she kisses him back afterwards. I
1: mean, yes, no, that's right. It is, not, s- fine, says, it is not fine. She says it's not fine. No. But she does say to herself, silly idiot, silly infatuated goose, which all women think when they kiss men.
0: <laughs> it's so true.
1: Uh,
0: uh, what silly gooses women are.
1: Um, okay, let's talk about the highlight of the novel, which I feel like is unappreciated. James Bond, naked except for a harness.
0: <laughs> so, a Saturday 20. night? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm not <laughs> mad about this at all. This sounds pretty great. Um his eyes yeah. were bright with tension and excitement, and his smoke-streaked oh. face and tousled hair made him look piratical and rather frightening. Uh,
1: Pirates are frightening. Yeah. Uh. But also sexy, Mm. hot. Yeah, he asks her, "How's your head?" Unironically, she hasn't had any
0: complaints. Uh, Oh no, she has actually. Derek Malaby did actually, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And
1: uh, I think Kurt had notes, but they were (laughs) they were diagrams for sure. It was clinic. Yeah, it was, but it was done on a tablecloth. You know, wasn't too serious. And we Uh, wonder why
0: Tunda left him for another man. Honestly, (laughs) oh my
1: god. I did at one point think, my God, James talks a lot. Uh, There's, There, there's something about, like, hearing these lines as written, but as if spoken by Sean Connery. <laughs> and you just imagine him going on to, like, someone like Pussy Galore for a few minutes without her asking any questions. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's running up and down the length of the hotel. And it's like, man, like, my God, man, just like, do I, can I get a word in here?
0: <laughs> Could you maybe just deal with the problem, James? I don't need a blow <laughs> Yeah
1: yeah i'm well I at least one of those but. <laughs> how is your head james <laughs> uh, let's find out uh he says i've got a number in my outfit some sort of recognition number it's 007 try not to forget it <laughs> oh, I, okay i'm i'm ready <laughs> Chapter 13, The
0: Crash of Guns A Flash of Light My Golden Coat I I can't not sing this chapter title. Yeah, 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 it's it's right. As the mobsters steal televisions from the motel, like newlyweds apparently, Bond holds them at gunpoint and tells Viv to take their weapons. The mobsters attack Viv and a fight ensues. The the mobsters, not monsters, the mobsters retreat to a cabin. Well, yes, they are also monsters. Uh, Bond provides cover so Viv can run to get help, but Viv looks back and watches a firefight between Bond and the mobsters. The mobsters. Att- I'm using the word mobsters way too many times in this paragraph. You're <laughs> much like Ian Fleming. <laughs> uh, the mobsters attempt to get away in their car. Viv opens fire on the car. Bond follows
1: suit and the car crashes into the lake. Woo! <sighs> oh my god. I mean, calling them slugsy in horror is worse than calling them the mobsters. So you were right to make that change. Uh, this was the second time that fleming uses the word gym crack so i had to look up what the fuck that meant (laughs) and whether Uh, or not it's (laughs) offensive (laughs) yeah yeah, truly uh and i don't know if it is offensive but it does mean poorly made yet deceptively attractive which (laughs) you could use Mm. to describe this novel and or
0: (laughs) myself (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it's a real gym crack shane um I, I, did i read this wrong or did bond get a tv set thrown at his
1: head and it just sort of bounced off him oh yeah that's exactly <laughs> what happens it the tv grazes his forehead somehow It's just got a
0: little cut a little a little boo-boo from yeah being hit in the head by what must have been like a 50 pound television
1: set like a big crystal G yeah thing like, like th- this isn't the kind <laughs> of tv we have now which actually if you did throw because of the sharp angles and corners could <laughs> probably give you a little cut on your forehead. These things yeah. are monsters. They weigh a hundred pounds. They are the size of a small goat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, book Bond still don't like to kill a man in cold blood, a problem that the movie Bond yeah, really doesn't have.
1: Yeah, not one bit. Uh, we do get, like, a really cinematic fight scene here that yeah. I don't think... I, you know, I was thinking, actually, if... If there is any recreation of any of this, it's actually Quantum of Solace? Hmm. Like the whole uh f- oh, hotel yeah. catching fire and Bon having to save a woman from the fire is the the last act of Quantum of Solace. So That's maybe true. we did get an adaptation. Uh which is Equally problematic. So it's still never been done correctly.
0: I, I could well imagine Matthew Amalric's character trying to steal a TV set from his own compound in the last moments. Yeah, he, was, he was that yeah.
1: NAFA villain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could see Elon Musk doing the same thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It all works. Great line here, which really connected with me uh The black wings of emergency blot out the sky, and there is no past and no future. I, I mean, that is truly, like, if you've ever been in a traumatic situation, yeah. that's what happens. Uh, and, yeah, it that, it, God, for all of this novel's faults, and there are more faults than there are positives, yeah. like, that is something that he nails on the head. The feeling of being in a really stressful, anxiety-ridden situation. And then we also get the best line of the book, which <laughs> I almost chose for my, uh maybe it, ah, uh, do I save this? Is this the best line? <laughs> no, I'm just going to say it. For a moment, he was caught in the car's great lights as he stood there, the sweat gleaming on his naked chest, and fired, in the classic stance of the dueler, as if at a charging animal. Oh, my god oh my god oh my god this is this is it like this is what we've been asking for.
0: <laughs> fleming can write erotic content if he's writing about a man it's when a, a woman is involved that he loses it that everything falls <laughs> apart yeah
1: it's oh god we call this the queer james bond podcast but honestly folks this is just the james bond podcast <laughs> chapter 14 bimbo <laughs> Which would have been a great name for this podcast. (laughs) Viv and Bond retreat to one of the surviving cabins. They take a shower together, then have sex. In that order, Viv experiences her first orgasm. Viv decides she's in love with James Bond. Ugh, been there. After a (laughs) night of sleep, Viv wakes to see Slugsy at the window. Bond wakes and shoots Slugsy dead bond explains what bimbo means they go back to bed (laughs) i love the the slugsy whoa jump scare shoot him dead and then like
0: oh let's let's, let's have another couple of hours just
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah. like honestly that's like pretty horror movie uh like that's that's a trope that we have come to accept yeah. yeah but maybe we shouldn't
0: <laughs> and honestly like are we sure that horror is dead at this point because or, i, they I did, didn't see him dead they did not check like they just saw the car crash into the lake and they're like well that's that done turns out that's no that um but nope they c- kill slugsy
1: and then they're like all right back to bed um terrible terrible spycraft uh okay this is the worst riding in the novel oh, in god. so many ways first we get James saying well you might as well learn how to wash a man if you're going to be a nurse eventually uh, <laughs> when did she say did she say she wanted to be a nurse she wants to be a journalist um, no, she? Uh, look it comes up in conversation oh, I don't god, know how god. to explain the line but she's <laughs> like she's envisioning her future and right on cue he says you might as well learn how to wash a man oh my god <laughs> and and then we get, I think, the line that devo- defines the novel. Yeah, all women love semi rape. Jesus fucking Christ! This is this is not
0: good, Ian. This is not okay. This is not no. right. This is not. Uh, I mean, we've talked this about is it before. L- like there is the. You can have violent sex fantasies all you like. You can enact scenarios with a consenting partner, but it's consenting. No one loves semi rape and there is no semi
1: rape there is just rape there's just semi yeah. right uh it is one of the few things in this world actually, which is uh you almost. this is not a defense of what he's saying you almost understand what he's trying to say because he says it in the next line like everyone wants the fantasy of being taken yeah but his language doesn't know what he's saying and you don't believe that he believes it like you you believe that like he he's absolutely projecting what he does to women onto a female character yeah which is evident throughout this entire novel like this is what a man thinks a woman thinks plain and simple Yeah, uh, which excuses all of the awful horrendous bad behavior that women uh, that that men exhibit here in real life in fiction like it is just so horrible and i said earlier like this is how generational shame and trauma are built on sexuality well hey here he he has put it in literary form like for all of us to see
0: men not only thinking they know what women want but overruling what a woman might actually say you know, not listening yeah. to a woman's perspective because they think they already know what it is.
1: Like, you have to imagine that he spent days talking to his for now wife, saying like, okay, so what do you think a woman would say in this situation? Or like, what would, what would you do? What, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. And, and this was his conclusion. This is his thesis. This is chapter 14 of 15. So this is like, this is the outcome for this character for this story this is what she thinks and it is there was such good shit in here andrew like this could have been a great novel but he throws it all away yeah
0: the 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 sex politics of ian fleming not not something that needs to be uh taught in schools
1: well maybe just as a warning yes a warning absolutely uh speaking of sex politics uh she says i thought that perhaps one ought to be a nudist She's saying this as she's watching him Like just rearrange things around the apartment Naked <laughs> which I love But perhaps only under 40 I said James Don't ever get fat Fuck <laughs> you honestly, Fuck you <laughs> Honestly Viv you really lost me at this point <laughs> Yeah uh, Everything was going great until <laughs> now
0: <laughs> Don't be old and fat And gross James Oh. Um, <laughs> <sighs> Uh, and God. we finally get to her. She, having been called a bimbo by these uh, gangsters the whole time, he, she asks James, what, what exactly is a bimbo? And he says, <laughs> it's a gangster language for a whore. Oh, oh have I Have it, I not it, understood it, what bimbo means my entire life? Because that is not what I thought bimbo means.
1: Uh, <laughs> I Look, hey, he's right about everything, Andrew, uh, especially <laughs> knowing what a bimbo is. If I, anyone's ever hired a bimbo, it's <laughs> Ian Fleming.
0: <laughs> like, I thought it was just like a sort of ditzy, kindly, but not too
1: bright girl, like... Uh, honestly I always thought there was a connotation of and I'm sorry for the language but easy as part of being a bimbo like yeah but being easy doesn't make dizzy, you free loving sex, well, sex no, workers we, aren't you easy. and I know that you and <laughs> I know that but these cis men don't they don't oh. care they just think like they think that like owning sexuality means that you're some yeah you're a sex worker
0: <laughs> well promise you don't think i'm a bimbo she asks and he says promise you're just a darling chick
1: i'm cow simple about you what I, uh, <laughs> what does thank anybody god he mean? didn't say honestly thankfully he didn't say you're just a simple cow <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're such a cow uh no she's she's a chick
0: he's a cow we're on the farm all of a sudden i don't know what is happening i'm so confused
1: I, I don't understand. Uh, this chapter basically is shower, fuck, sleep, kill a man, fuck, spoon, sh- sleep.
0: <laughs> Good. Boy meets girl. Classic. <laughs> chapter 15. The writing on my heart. Viv wakes up alone. Bond
1: has left a note explaining that he has gone to oh. the authorities.
0: Dear Viv. I can't
1: believe, I, 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 look usually I save the notes for after. I can't believe I didn't see the parallel. Oh, But yeah. go on, please. Well, she doesn't see it. Uh, the authorities
0: arrive and Viv learns that she'll receive a reward from the insurance company. Hooray! The fancies have been arrested and Sanguinetti is on the run. The chief advises her to stay away from men like Bond but Viv believes that yeah. Bond has healed
1: her of her traumas uh correction viv bond has added to your traumas (laughs) Uh, yeah oh my god oh i don't know where to begin andrew i mean let's begin with the letter
0: he does write her a letter to to dump (laughs) her to dump her to to say hey guess what you you fell in love with me i'm never gonna see you again like the fact that this book is called the spy who loved me like love meaning fucked because he is not emotional towards her at any point really i mean except in the way that as we've talked before like bond in the books is a bit sappy like he kind of falls in love with every woman he sleeps with but also falls out of love with them as soon as he comes
1: very quickly so (laughs) Uh, honestly this book should be called the spy who shagged me mm -hmm. like that is actually the accurate title (laughs) yeah
0: Or Gaslight Town.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. oh my god, I can't wait for that Bond novel. Uh, You know, once again, the dichotomy here, I love that Jame essentially is calling her the real heroine of this story. Like, she's the one who did all the work to get up to a certain point. And it's true, like, she really... uh, Oh, I more than I hate her, I love the character Vivienne Michelle. Right. I wish that more of his female characters were as realized as this. I can't believe I'm saying that. But he throws it all away and, like, not just... He sets it on fire in a thunderstorm. Like, it's just so fucked how women are treated in this because you want to believe that he is empowering them, yet... Everything that he says and writes goes against that.
0: <laughs> the the best part of uh, of his letter to her is that he says you won't be able to get any breakfast, so I shall have the patrol bring you a thermos of coffee and sandwiches, <laughs> which is honestly sweet. Um, and the yeah. cops, of course, they're American cops; they bring her donuts. Um, the worst part of the letter in my view is her is Bond soapsplaining to her, saying to try Gerdain's Fleur des Alpes instead of Camée. Um. I that he
1: knows the scent of a woman better than she does. <laughs> like it's just this whole chapter is actually mansplaining. Like it is every man coming in at the end to say hey sis here's what really happened uh like take your opinions and shove them up your ass captain whatever who get like who we've never met and gets a third of the last chapter telling viv like oh well you know i've got daughters and this is what i would want for them it's like fuck off she was doing fine she was traveling to florida on a vespa until she came to this shit ridden motel she doesn't need your opinion dude she doesn't need your opinion bond she doesn't need your opinion slugsy and morant sorry slugsy and horror she doesn't need Derek. she doesn't need kurt like she was doing fine andrew i'm so angry i'm so angry she
0: might need susan briggs um duff susan duff Duff. susan muff Susan Duff, <laughs> Susan Duffdiver, Susan's uh, muff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain Stoner from Glens Falls does sound like a bit of a daddy, though he is patronising like a daddy as well. His whole lecture to her mm, yep, has been suddenly yep. introduced out of the blue, so to speak—and violently to the
1: underground war of crime. So yeah, thanks, Guy. I know. Yeah, <laughs> but he's also accompanied by Officer O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Shout out, Maddie, my husband. Yeah. <laughs> um like she's getting some level of post-trauma care here like it's not good but it's acknowledging that she has trauma and that's good (laughs) like she's convinced she's not leaving with scars yeah even though like i don't believe that uh but she also can't help but feel that she's added uh, or sorry i can't help but feel that she's added so many that she can no longer distinguish between them
2: <laughs> yeah. like
1: go see a therapist girl go deal with the inevitable PTSD that oh. you're going to go through You've before got lot, it destroys you. A lot to work through but like like the
0: best bimbos she's immediately falling in love with uh, the next man she sees, Lieutenant Morrow who does sound rather marvellous he was clean and gay yeah. and young but tough and adventurous as well by the looks of him and from his job. Perhaps this was more the type of man I should build dreams about
1: yeah I get it. He's uh, I, I, yeah, gay and young, yeah, for sure, and clean <laughs> Ooh, which so is rare. language we don't use anymore <laughs> oh right, right. <laughs> uh, sorry <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> how we oh my it? God. use it in a sentence mm. <laughs> yeah. uh I use the uh Olé de de <laughs> to clean myself. that is not a real soap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. And that's the end of the novel, folks. She rides <laughs> off into the sunset. Thank God. Never to think about any of these men again, one assumes.
0: And then she moves to Florida to become a
1: Republican voter. Great. Good job, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about everything that Bond eats and drinks in the novel, shall we? Which ain't much. <laughs> He's not in the book very long. He has eggs, bacon, and coffee. And probably some jam and toast S- in between.
0: Maybe. And he has two pins of Well, we do know. And coffee.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least it's not uh, two Benzedrine and-, and a champagne. Yeah, <laughs> Still, <laughs> which is
0: what's the name of the cocktail? We would call it a Notre Dame de Paris in my yeah. house. Uh, that's, right, thank you. That's yeah, not yeah, a yeah. real cocktail. That's just what we call painkillers and wine around here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, benzedrine and coffee sounds like it's even worse, honestly, to me than champagne.
1: Like, I mean, if bro. anything is ever gonna shoot through the back end of you, <laughs> it's two Benzedrine and coffee. Well, let's get into okay, the highlights let's... and lowlights. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, I'll tell you a low light: two Benzedrine and a coffee. No, uh, the, the highlight for me, Andrew, Toronto. First of all, yeah. the Bond novel that we're never going to get, but also women—sorry, woman—being badass.
0: <laughs> yeah, love Viv, hate Viv, love Viv. Uh, James Bond in yeah. Toronto is my highlight as well.
1: Uh, what about the low light for you, though? <laughs> what? Uh,
0: No shock here. Ian Fleming's whole attitude to women and sex, so uh, effortlessly articulated, and in some sense, unintentionally articulated through this novel. Like, it's just disturbing.
1: Yeah, I chose the articulation in particular. Women love semi-rape. That is, that's, I mean, honestly, when I... The, the very first time I ever mentioned this novel on this podcast, that is the only thing I could remember right. from that novel, and that carried me through this reading, and here we are. Here
0: we are. <laughs> uh, glamour moment. I mean, there can be little doubt, really,
1: about I mean, this. you're... It, yeah, it's viv... Like, in fucking overalls and a helmet on a Vespa, right? With leopard print seats. I mean, it's so good. It's gorgeous. Although, and this is for you, shout out to 1960s hotel slash motel culture. I would steal everything that wasn't nailed down as well. Honestly.
0: Uh, Queerest moment of the book.
1: Ian Fleming uh, doing research by hooking up with German men. (laughs)
0: Honestly, intrinsically, Viv is a vehicle for Ian Fleming to get horny about his famous creation, and uh, that's pretty gay.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Sexiest moment, and there's some not-so-sexy, sexy, sexy <laughs> moments, and there's some sexy, oh, really? sexy moments. So what was your choice?
0: We are, I, I think we, <laughs> we are very closely aligned on this book, which mm. is, is uh, interesting, but it, maybe it's because it's so short, or maybe it's just unambiguous the, what the, the highlights and lowlights are, but sweaty, shirtless, strapped-up James
1: Bond... That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Bond, shirtless, wearing just a harness, shooting at a car barreling towards
0: him. Dirt on his face, his eyes bright. Tussled hair.
1: Yeah. Glaring, but you know he can smile, so he's hot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's the hottest moment. That's something that's never been recreated in the films, and something that needs to be recreated right now, frankly. (laughs) Best line? Okay. I hadn't mentioned it during the. our talk through, but I love this line because you could take it out of this novel and it works. The true jungle of the world with its real monsters only rarely shows itself in the life of a man, a woman in the street, but it is always there. You take a wrong step, play the wrong card and fate's game and you are in it and lost, lost in a world you'd never imagined against which you have no knowledge and no weapons, no compass. Honestly, Andrew, I've been in a situation like that <laughs> recently, and oh my God, it rings true. Like sometimes you just find yourself in a place you didn't expect to be, and you ha- and you don't know what to do, and you feel really lost, and you hope for a way out. And it's beautiful. I, I honestly, it's beautiful that I found a way out. It's beautiful that Viv finds a way out in the end. That is the shining moment of all of this. Is that Viv survives this fucking novel? And yes. We are all lucky to survive our traumas, and we are even luckier if we get to deal with them. Andrew, what was the best line for you?
0: <laughs> that was beautiful. Fleming does understand trauma and danger. He's just a terrible guide to those things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But for for my best line, I just went with the truism. Uh, Viv saying, they ought to hand the world over to younger people who haven't got the idea of war stuck in their subconscious.
1: Yes. Yes, they should. Yeah absolutely hasn't happened yet (laughs) what was the most timeless moment for you andrew
0: genuine 1890 gaslighting Mm, the
1: classic (laughs) variety we're still still doing it and you yep uh motels are seedy that hasn't changed there they are yeah uh and last (laughs) andrew if you could pick the cringiest moment (laughs) what would it be
0: the cringiest moment in the bond canon possibly any sentence that starts with the words all women is already problematic but this one really screws up the landing
1: like holy shit yeah yeah holy shit in such a big way uh yeah, I, I couldn't nail it down, so I just said, any time Viv starts talking about her sexuality, mm. like, just brace yourself. Andrew, would you tell people to read this? Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like we've done the work for all of you. Uh, I, there's some good stuff in here, and, like, it might be worth reading uh, the couple chapters that we mentioned as good like james bond in toronto that's a that's a great chapter read short (laughs) it's very
0: yeah i would say it's a good short story if you're reading all of the bond novels leave this one till close to the end which it is. Which it is. <laughs> Anyways, Which it is, yeah. So if you're reading them in
1: order, congratulations, <laughs> you did it.
0: Now it's time for our ratings and we will each give the novel a score between one and three, then award bonus points. How the from fuck four do you categories. even on this one? <laughs> Bondi incompetence <laughs> accidental progressiveness, queerness, and glamour. We'll start with our base
1: scores. shane Andrew. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, how could it not be a one, right? Yeah, it's a one. I uh, yeah it doesn't nothing elevates it really. no, nothing overcomes the huge obstacles that he put in his own way uh bondy incompetence is bond competent is he good as a bond in this novel i I mean he's not on an assignment. he does seem fairly
0: unflappable and in control most of the time, like apart from stuffing toilet roll under the door, I think I'm gonna give this one to him. What do you think?
1: You disagree. This is going to be one of those rare times where I disagree. Even Bond says, uh, like, he says it multiple times. Like, I must be off my game Uh, because I wasn't expecting them to do that. And you mentioned the toilet paper and slugsy comes back and he has to shoot him dead in the head in the middle of the night oh, that's like true. that's true no i i'm sorry i i think that he shows some competence in the beginning when like after the third time she's like please come in he's like oh i guess i'll come in uh like he he gets some of the clues and yeah. he gets he like he knows who they are like as as they are mobsters but no, he's not getting the point from me. How well, I, about... <laughs> splitting the difference, and I think that's maybe appropriate for this book. <laughs> he, honestly. But, Andrew, is this novel accidentally progressive in any way?
0: <laughs> uh, I, well, you know, it, it is in exactly two ways. First of all, the, the, the dialogue they have about, you know, the world, how the world is, is, yeah. is bound to war by men who don't care, essentially. And also the fact that they've does have, you know, she is essentially a liberated woman. She is the Barbie generation, a woman going off on her own, building mm. a career, taking a bike
1: across you know, America. So Barbie's 1959, and this novel came out in 1961, so this is truly is, like, uh, this is a response to that culture in so many ways.
0: Yeah, uh, though I don't know how much <laughs> Fleming knew about Barbie dolls, to be honest.
1: Well, He's <laughs> clearly spent one day in America, Andrew.
0: <laughs> so yes there is some progressiveness but it's so
1: regressive
0: as a whole work that i can't give it the point
1: for all of the great truisms that he speaks about trauma and the way of the world like just the way that he thinks women think it's like watching a bad mel gibson film you know what i mean (laughs) we just say
0: mel gibson film
1: <laughs> right, sorry. Uh, hey, the first Mad Max is All okay. right, the first uh, Mad Max. <laughs> uh, that's before he was a Nazi. Uh <laughs> you're never not a Nazi actually. Uh glamour. Okay. This I think there I'm going to give it a glamour point because there is something glamorous about the setting as it is in the time that it is even though she recognizes that it is past its prime. Right? Yeah. But
0: then and even that is part of the glamour, like fadedness, I think, plays into yeah. a lot of the time. And did you see that toaster? I mean, of course it gets the glamour point.
1: I mean, yeah, it gets the glamour <laughs> point. Uh, okay. Queerness. How, how does one defy define queerness, I ask myself? Is I mean, it the fact that the author is queer for his own creation? You know, it is... The
0: most erotic of the Bond novels that I've read so far in how it treats Bond. He is an object of desire in the third of the novel that he is in, and he is heavily eroticized.
1: He is essentially a Tom of Finland character throughout, (laughs) like, the majority of his appearance in that last third of the novel. Big Uh. (laughs) screen. But. But, Does the book have any. And a big but. (laughs) any queer elements in it at all no i mean uh, i there's so much i want to argue for but it is a perversion of what exists like yes viv and susan duff should have been together that was the strongest relationship in this entire novel uh yes ian fleming loved a german man ian fleming is in love with the idea of james bond and wishes that he was and could fuck himself you know like yes but is it queer i don't know this is honestly this might be the thesis of this podcast this novel this question right now is this queer enough for it to get a point andrew i'm throwing it to you because i don't have an answer yet
0: (laughs) I, ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no, I'm saying no, I, it, I'm really, It so could easily go either way,
1: like, yes, I'm gonna split the point, that's then. kind of what we have to do, isn't it? Right? And, like, somehow give this shitty, awful... Like, literally everyone who's still listening at this point, this is the worst James Bond novel. I have told everyone, everyone I know coming into this that I was dreading this because I (laughs) knew this was the worst James Bond novel. And yet I love this discussion. Like, there's something in here that is the epitome of what I love and hate about this. Ugh god it's so frustrating to like something you hate so much right
0: yeah it's that's welcome to bimbo <laughs> bim bim bam bam
1: <laughs> anyway three out of seven uh we're idiots great great job everyone. yeah we're, we're stupid i hate myself so much and i love you andrew thank you i love you too All right. Audiences know the names James Bond,
0: Jason Bourne, Ethan Hunt, Jack Ryan, and even Austin Powers and Johnny English, but there has never been a successful Western spy movie franchise with a woman in the lead role. (gasps) And yet our hearts yearn for a great lady spy series. So next time on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we are looking at the first of two movies that tried to launch a female spy series and sadly fell short to see how they hold up and to ask what went wrong, even though we know that the answer to the question is probably misogyny. So we're Mm. starting that two-part series with the 2010 spy thriller famously written for Tom Cruise and reimagined for Angelina Jolie. The name Salt, Evelyn Salt.
1: I just learned something. I had no idea that this was a Tom Cruise vehicle. I am so excited to rewatch this with that knowledge. Yeah, You can follow Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on Twitter and Instagram at kkbbpod or oh, also on threads. uh And send us coffee and donuts Uh via COP, who's not a bastard preferably, at kisskissbangbangpod <laughs> at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter accounts at Wheeler and at Shane Came Back. Same on threads and same on Instagram. Don't forget to share, like, rate, review, follow, kiss, kiss, bang, bang on your preferred podcast, podcasting and social media platforms. Our graphics are provided by the shameless bimbo Carl Shura, and you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at C-A-R-L-S-H-U-R-A. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded territory, just like Vivian Michelle. <laughs> and we like to end every episode with a great piece of Bond-related music, so Andrew... Please tell me we're signing off with something that will leave a good taste in my mouth. Almost as good as a Vespa martini.
0: (laughs) Uh, I think this will leave a good taste in the mouth. Viv name checks a few songs and artists throughout this story. Uh, One of those is the song Ain't She Sweet, performed by the piano virtuoso Dr. Don Shirley, whose renewed cultural prominence was perhaps the only good thing to come out of the movie Green Book. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. So I picked out a different Don Shirley track For our pick for this episode One that is more thematically resonant to the story Of The Spy Who Loved Me This is Don Shirley's stunning performance Of a classic paean to romantic yearning George Gershwin's damsel in distress anthem The Man I Love
1: Oh my god i love this
0: it's one of my favorite tracks one of my favorite songs
1: this is queer yes yeah i mean this is a hundred percent queer uh this feels like it fits in this novel like Mm -hmm. I i can hear this music making the novel better you know yeah and also it's just a stunning piece and yeah, it's moving, it's really beautiful stuff.
0: He's, he was never the spy who loved me, but he was the man I love.
1: Oh, what a great way to end this incredibly long episode.
0: <laughs> uh, if you stuck with us all this time, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, kiss kiss. Bim bam. Sorry, bang, bang. <laughs>